Everyone and their brother's dog has a podcast today, and most every podcast uses music, including this one. However, as with a lot of things in the music industry, the specifics for music usage in podcasts is kind of unclear. So what are the proper procedures, especially for small podcasts that don't make enough money to pay the market rate for the music they want to use? Welcome to The Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label Kill Rockstars. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. Today's episode looks at music for podcasts, how to use it, and what to use. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. Support for the future of what also comes from Marmoset. Marmoset is an independent, full service music agency that specializes in meticulously curating rare, vintage, and emerging independent artists, bands, and record labels. Learn more at marmosetmusic.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Lindsay Bowen. Lindsay, welcome to The Future of What. Thanks so much, Portia. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. So you are an attorney who's done a lot of work in the podcasting sphere, and that's what we wanted to talk to you about today because, you know, podcasting being a relatively new media form has popped up, and and with many things in the music sphere at least, you know, technology changes how people behave, and then after the behavior comes the regulation So there really aren't any laws that I know of surrounding, you know, there's no blanket license, for example, for podcasting music, you know, none of that stuff exists. So it's been sort of cobbled together how people have been using music in their podcasts. And so you can speak to that since you've actually been dealing with that for the last few years, correct? Sure, absolutely. So I've been working with podcasters, advising them for about two years, really across the spectrum from big podcasting networks to individual artists who are doing either you know, audio drama type work and maybe using background music or your typical two people on a mic podcast that may or may not use bumpers and theme songs and things like that. But my roots are actually as a music litigator, which I still am today working on big cases of record piracy, like against LimeWire and GrooveShark and MP3 tunes. So I definitely see this issue from both sides. And, and when I talk to podcasters, especially in groups, one thing I always mention to them is that they need to license their music and they need to not be pirates. Because even if people aren't paying a lot of attention right now, that attention will be coming. Definitely. One thing that's hard, of course, though, in the podcasting sphere is so many people are able to do it really just in their bedroom or in their living room or, you know, I've, I've met people who do podcasts and they just meet you in a lounge somewhere and whip out their little microphone and do a quick interview. You know, a lot of people don't really have the wherewithal to monetize their podcasts and yet they're still putting podcasts on. So how is it like, what's your advice to people who, you know, really can't afford to pay for music in that case? Sure. Well, that's one of the beautiful things about podcasting. I mean, just like picking up a, a guitar or, or a turntable, the barrier to entry to actually do the thing is pretty low. 
And unlike with music and you know just about any other form of media I can think of, the distribution is also almost free. So there are a lot of hobbyists out there. There are a lot of unsophisticated people out there. I'm not sure what the exact numbers are this month, but last I checked, there were close to half a million podcasts that were wow. regularly updated still. Yeah, wow. it's a big wave. Of those, fewer than 20% are monetized at all. And then it's a smaller percentage of those where the people are making enough money that they are podcasters for a living rather than people who can maybe make a little money to buy new mics and new rigs once in a while. The way those folks make their money is off advertising. And advertising rates for podcasts are, are pretty good. So if a podcast is popular enough that you have come across it, and it, it seems to be something that with, with more than you know a few listeners, they probably can't afford to, to pay for music, at least in some way, shape, or form. Now, the good news is that this is not like a situation with LimeWire or Napster or any of the piracy wars you know, 10, 15 years ago, almost 20 now, where people are just really excited about stealing music and think that music ought to be free. Right. Here you have people who either don't know any better or who are following the norms in the podcast industry, and I'm happy to tell you those norms are actually pretty positive. What people do is contact a friend of theirs who's a songwriter or a musician and ask her to write music for the podcast. And they'll have a complete buyout of you know whatever they can afford, which is somewhere between zero and maybe a few thousand dollars. And that's not money that anybody can live off of, obviously, but it's a real change from what we saw before where people were just stealing music. Right. So they know they have to pay for music and they know they can only use the music they've paid for. What's happening is as podcasting gets more popular, Audiences are demanding recognizable music, and audiences are wanting to hear licensed music, not just you know music that's bought out. A lot of times, podcasters now are using production music. There's a kind of music that's almost like uh, Creative Commons called PodSafe. And if so, if you're a podcaster, you can Google that, and you'll find music that's free to use for your podcast, whether it's Creative Commons or some other service. You can also pay for production music. But that tends to be, no offense to, to the composers and musicians who are making that, that tends to be fairly canned sounding. Sometimes you'll hear the same songs or jingles across multiple podcasts, and producers might be a little dissatisfied with that. So they'll come across a song that they want to license and you know, maybe contact a musician about it. Great. I mean, obviously, the, the larger the podcast and the more income they have, the more they can actually afford the track and they license it in a normal manner, you know, they, they'll license the sound recording and the publishing side. Is there like an industry standard or a regulation or anything around the amount of a song that can be used? Like, let's say if a, you know, a very small podcast that doesn't have any money says, well, I just want to use, you know, 20 seconds of this song that is a recognizable song, you know, is that better than using the whole song? Is that, you know, is, is there a, some sort of length standard? Right. Well, you know, it's pretty interesting that you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people have misconceptions about fair use. Uh, so like I said before, some people just are using songs without permission when they should get permission out of ignorance of the law. So fair use doesn't have an absolute guideline to say, oh, if you use no more than 20 seconds, you know, you're okay, or even like with a sample, three seconds. I mean, people in the music business are used to clearing all samples now. Mm -hmm. They know that that really no amount is, is too small, that it couldn't be subject to a license. What fair use protects is primarily when 
a work is transformed in some way. So if I have a podcast that's actually criticism of songs, like a, like a rock critic podcast or music critic podcast, and I want to play a snippet of the song to then discuss that song, discuss the songwriting, discuss the, the sound recording itself, that could be part of fair use. And how amount works in with that is when a, a judge or a court is looking at whether something is, is fair use or not, one of the factors they look at is, did the podcaster, did the user only take as much so- of the song as they needed for their fair use? So that's the only time amount really comes in. And there's no, there's no hard and fast rule about, oh, if you use less than 20 seconds, you're okay. So if you're only using 20 seconds of music between two segments of a podcast because you like the music, doesn't matter. You're, that's still something you should have licensed. Hmm. So now let's say an artist calls you and says, I was just listening to a podcast and they played one of my songs and nobody has contacted me about this usage. What do you tell that musician? Really, it all depends what the podcast is. If it's one that appears to be monetized, if they're selling ads on it, it's probably worth finding out who the network is, who the producer is, who's putting it out, and sending them a letter. You're not going to send iTunes the letter, but you want to find out who's actually behind it. The chances are that if it's your actual song, right? if it's your sound recording rather than your composition, they should have paid you for it. The market's not giant necessarily in podcasting music licenses right now. I've seen licenses for maybe around $250 on the sound recording side or the um, composition side for well-known commercial songs going, you know, a little bit upwards from there for sort of iconic songs or platinum selling songs or whatever you want to call it. If your work is registered with the copyright office as a musician or any other creative person, copyright gives you a whole broad range of basically superpowers in order to defend your rights. And you could sue for statutory damages of anywhere from, let's say, $750 in the case of a willful infringement to $150,000 per work infringed. Hmm. That's not per podcast or per download. And if you are successful and you can show the other side was unreasonable in how they defended their case or even in using the song in the first place, you could get your attorney's fees back. However, people shouldn't have dollar signs floating in their eyes when they hear that. I mean, often these will be independent podcasts without recourse to that sum of money, even if you were to take them to court and win. The chances are you could contact them, ask them to remove the song itself from the feed, or ask them for a reasonable license fee after the fact, kind of keep it on a friendly level, and resolve the issue that way. If it's a podcast being used by a major company, uh, you know, there may be a little bit more money in it for you because they should pay for their mistake or pay for their failure to do things the right way. I think the most interesting thing that you said is that really what we're dealing with right now is a change in the culture. I think that's really fascinating because, you know, I lived through the moment in the music business where suddenly everybody decided music should be free. And that's like a very terrifying moment for a record label who puts in tens of thousands of dollars to create a record, you know, an album, an LP. And basically the marketplace says, yeah, well, all that money that you just spent on that, we don't care. We're taking it for free. And it's fascinating because I think you're totally right. I think there really has been sort of a sea change just in the culture, in the way people understand 
you know, the fact that artists should be paid for their works and also in the technology, because I'm just thinking about, you know, now that most music is digital and things are on the internet, you know, there are things that are sweeping the internet every day for usages of songs. So in a lot of ways, it's not as easy to get away with just using somebody's music as it once was. Right. And, you know, companies like YouTube, Vimeo, other companies that were once seen as real problems for the music industry have instituted internal safeguards where, where they're identifying you know, music that has been registered. Uh, there's a company called Audible Magic that has what I believe is called the Global Rights Registry, where you can go and register your song. You upload a copy of it, and their customers are people like YouTube who then take those hashes and make sure that those songs don't appear on their service in the first place. So technology made it really easy to steal music. Now it's making it easier to defend against people stealing music. The cultural change you mentioned is interesting too. Podcasting is kind of poised between two worlds. There was definitely a a culture of internet users and sadly even internet platforms and companies who were committed to not paying for music. At the same time, you've got the entertainment industry, film and television, who are often... I won't say they overpay, but they are overcautious about using music. They clear absolutely everything. They get permission for absolutely everything, even when it's pretty clear that they don't have to under the fair use rules. And podcasting somewhere in between. So a studio is very used to clearing syncs, for example, and, and getting sync licenses. In podcasting, it's not quite a sync license. That's a term... I would say should only be used for something that with a video component, mm-hmm. but it's only half a step from the sync license culture to understanding that there's some sort of license, no matter what you call it, that's needed for the use of music in a podcast. And most of the major publishers and, and labels that I've dealt with have folks now who are seeing these requests more and more and you know, can deal with them fairly efficiently and quickly. Is there anything else you want to add that podcasters should know about? I think, I mean, you've made it very clear and straightforward, which has been great. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, I think that it's important for a podcaster to start off doing things the right way. Even if you think no one's ever going to listen to your podcast, even if you think you're going to do it for just a little while, and that's it. If episode one or two of your podcast has like a Led Zeppelin song in it, or pick anybody you'll want, you keep doing that podcast for years as a hobby or, or for love, one day, small, mid-sized, even large podcast company comes calling and they want to license your entire back catalog, you're going to have a few bombs in there, a few traps for that company. You're probably going to have to sign a contract that says if they get sued for your stuff, it's on you. And you're much more likely for somebody to find out that you did something the wrong way once you're in the big leagues. And at this point in podcasting, it's, it's the Wild West. Anybody can become a hit, become famous right away. Do it right from the beginning. Awesome. Well, Lindsay Bowen, thanks for being with us on The Future of What? Thank you very much, Portia. It's been exciting.
That was Insomnia by Wimps. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Jacob Webb of KEXP. Jacob, welcome to The Future of What? I'm so stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Yay. So on today's episode, we are talking about using music in podcasts. So we invited you to come on because you have a job where you kind of know a little bit about that. Can you tell us about what you do for KEXP? Yeah. One of the things I do for KEXP is I license all the songs we use in our podcast. And basically that entails making sure that I talk to the appropriate rights holders, which is often artists or labels or management or publishers, and just making sure everything is legally cleared so that we can use a full song in one of our podcasts in a way that promotes it and is also totally legally watertight. Good. And that's what I want to talk to you about, because I feel like as many things happen in many industries, but definitely the music industry, kind of technology moves forward and then like the law catches up later on. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So, you know, since podcasting has been a thing, people have been using music in podcasts all the time. And I guess the problem is, I mean, there's a couple problems, but one is, you know, if you use somebody's music and you don't get permission, that person can come after you legally and say, hey, I don't want you using that piece of music. But one of the big things is that not every podcast is a huge money-making operation. Like I would say the vast majority of podcasts are small and either make no money at all or, or make a very small amount of money. So in terms of paying market rates for music, probably that's really hard to do too. So can you just talk about like, what is the proper procedure for getting the right permissions to get music in your podcast? For sure. So fundamentally, what we do with KXP is we, in our podcast, when we do use music, we use full songs. And sometimes in podcasts, you'll hear people play like a snippet of a song, maybe like 10 or 15 seconds. And that is potentially covered under fair use, Mm -hmm. which is a really broad legal idea that's hard to, to narrow down. But we want to make sure the song gets played in its entirety because that's how it was made and to be heard in its entirety. Right. And to do that, we just have to confirm that everything is legit. So like we talk about what the context we're going to use it in is with the artist, for example. So not everybody immediately knows what I'm talking about when I'm saying, hey, can we use one of your songs in our Music That Matters podcast? They'll be like, well, what does that mean? And am I going to get paid? And, and usually there's a lot of questions if they're, they're new to this, which a lot of independent artists are, maybe aren't so familiar. And part of my job is explaining, well, here's how we plan on using it and here's the context and here's what the like the duration of the license will be. And I feel like generally most of the time people are pretty amenable as long as you are sharing their music in a supportive and encouraging context and you're not making any finances off of them that they wouldn't receive otherwise. Right. So not like we are getting royalties from this podcast that are not going to any of the artists that we would be featuring in the podcast. And I think that's probably the number one concern and understandably so is that artists want to make sure that if we're going to use their music, we're not making money off of it. Right. Absolutely. Especially if you're going to use their music for free. Totally. 
That's important. And you're coming from a pretty special perspective because KXP is, in fact, a radio station, which is Mm -hmm. the type of thing that people listen to expecting to hear music. (laughs) Totally. And sometimes people think like, oh, you're going to play it on the radio too? And I'm like, yeah, this is sort of like a a fun package deal. And there are radio royalties and things like that that your PRO can get fit into. But the podcasting landscape, just for the context for, for the listeners, we started our podcast back in, I think, 2006 or 2007. And we were one of the first music podcasts. And this is well before Spotify and Apple Music and all the streaming services that are currently so prominent. So you could just download a mix of music and go on your bike ride or your commute and you could hear 12 new songs that we thought were cool. And then some commentary from one of our stellar DJs. And we thought it was a really good idea then. We think it's a really good idea now and a cool way to support a lot of the artists we love. But as streaming has come up, that's actually one of the biggest concerns that's raised to me from from various labels, particularly from labels, being like, okay, well, if we are going to license you this song, we think you're going to take away from our stream count. (laughs) And can you justify why we would give up X dollars in royalties? And that's a discussion I have every once in a while. That's an interesting point. I mean, and what's your argument that you make that you're not going to take away from their stream count? Or are you saying that there's value in it other than that? Yeah, I think ultimately like the promotional value is worth it. So like if we pick a song for song of the day, which is one of our, it's probably our most, it is our most popular podcast. I actually have data to prove that. And that means you're going to get play on the radio and Cheryl Waters or John Richards or Kevin Cole is going to talk about it. And you're going to get a post on the website and you're going to get some posts from KXP's social media. So yeah, maybe you're leaving potentially a couple thousand or more, depending on the episode and how it's received, streams on the table in theory, just assuming that like you get 20K Spotify listens out of it, but you're getting kind of like a cool cosign. And and sometimes people will be like, well, we'd rather not have this song streamable in this context that's identical to, to Spotify, like a single stream of this the full song and nothing else. And that's okay if that's what you prefer it's your art and we want you to to use it in a way that you feel is appropriate. And it's important for musicians to get paid. So if you want to make sure everything's getting the most streaming numbers, then go for it. See, this sort of brings us right back to proper payment for music on the radio in general, because to refresh for our listeners, there's always been a payment for radio play for the songwriter what's called the mechanical or the publishing side of a song, Mm -hmm. but there's still no performance right for radio in the United States, along with North Korea and Iran. All other countries pay a performance royalty for play on the radio. But what's interesting about KEXP is that KEXP would, you know, there's been a bill on the table for years now trying to get a performance right for radio, but KEXP falls into like the protected category mm-hmm. because KEXP is a community radio station. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's something crazy under the bill. Like you guys would pay like a thousand bucks for to use all the music that you always use every year or something like that. It's a very small mm-hmm. amount of money. It's really the commercial radio stations that are making money right. on music that are are targeted. And that's where people feel like it's not fair that artists aren't making any money at all when the radio stations themselves are actually, you know, using music as their format and making a ton of money off of them, you know, totally for profit. Totally. And, and I think it's hard to put one to one to one to all of that, you know, like, mm-hmm. is it the same thing for like a clear channel station to play Katy Perry 
versus KEXP to play Wimps right. or for a college radio station or like a pirate radio station to play something even smaller. Right. Like Madeline Penny is a, is a great artist I saw the other day. And I want to make sure she gets paid just like Katy Perry gets paid. You know, everybody deserves money for their art, especially if it's it's consumed in a way where there is a viable metric of measuring it, which is money in, in radio spins. Totally. And I think it's still kind of like a weird wild west out there. And I think that streaming and digital and, and all of the different ways we can consume music digitally, it's made it even wilder of a west mm-hmm. because I can't really imagine, I hope we'll work on it in the future, but I'm not sure how like podcast numbers or YouTube streams or, or Spotify numbers will all line up in a way where we can measure and be like, we've had this many impressions and this is how much you should get paid. And unfortunately, I know there will be organizations that would rather not pay artists as much as they're worth because it affects their bottom line. But I hope that in all of this, we can just find a way that supports art in a way that does make being a musician a sustainable thing that, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a day job or spend a ton of money on marketing just to have a record exist. No, absolutely. And I really do feel like the music industry that at least the independent label portion of it, you know, I don't speak for everybody. I only just speak for myself, but I can certainly say that a lot of the stuff that we've done has been exactly that. It's like making everything fit the proper circumstances. You know, it's like if you have a podcast that's small and you reach a few hundred people yeah, and you're talking about cake icing right. or something very specific, I don't know, and you want to use a 15-second clip of some piece of music and you get permission from the artist and or the label to do that, that's totally fine. You know, to me, I, I feel like we should be able to have a big enough tent that we can have that and then we can have the really huge podcasts that are actually making money pay for their music usage. I mean, totally. to me, the, the tent is big enough. It's not one or the other. It should be all of the above. Totally. I mean, it's thinking about like the example of like a musician using their song in a car commercial you know, car companies, a lot of them have quite a bit of capital and they have the ability to compensate really well for using this music that will sell their expensive product. Right. And that's different than if you were saying like, hey, like I'm making this short film with my friends in my backyard this weekend, you know, <laughs> right. and exactly. we just want to use this song, you know, and, and that's great. Like there's different values in all of those things. And, you know, if a band wants to put their song in a Subaru commercial and get crazy paid, like, more power to you. That's great. I think if I quote you wrong, Ian McKay, please come correct me. But I think it was Ian McKay that said, they're asking why Fugazi didn't put their songs in commercials. And he says, we're not opposed to it as an abstract idea. It's just not what we want our art to be made for, right. to sell chocolate bars. Right. And, and that's okay. Yeah. But if you do not mind selling chocolate bars with your song, get the money, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know the through line in all of this that I always like to point out that we're talking about is actually consent. Totally. Because that's the biggest thing for me is I feel like artists need to have the ability to have consent. You know, they need to be able to say yes or no to where their art is going. Totally. And, you know, perfect example, like if someone wants to use your music to support a Subaru ad and you love Subaru and you're like, heck yeah, give me the fat check <laughs> yeah. for Subaru because I, I feel good about that and I feel like my music is totally, you know, I'm happy to support that, then go for it. Yeah. And if you don't, you don't. I mean, you know, the thermals on our label are, were famous at the time several years ago for turning down a Hummer ad because they didn't want to support that particular car. 
And that was their prerogative too, you know? I yeah. mean, that's, that's what artists should be allowed to do is say yes or no. Yeah, and, and your point about consent is so key because I think that sometimes the economics of the industry force people to maybe have their music places where they don't necessarily love the ethics of the business. Certain streaming services definitely fall under this umbrella, but they're like, well, I would rather get X dollars from this, even though I'd rather people just buy this record on vinyl and experience it this way that I made it to be intended. And and I, there's definitely a push and pull between art versus commerce there, which is like ultimately just like the one musician running thread through every single musician's career, I guess. But totally. consent is really important. And when I'm licensing a lot of these songs, you know, sometimes people will say, hey, like this license that you've sent me, it's, it's kind of got a little bit of legalese and it's a little over my head. Can you explain fundamentally what you're trying to do here? And most of the time when I say like, hey, like we just, we just want to support your music. This is basically what the rundown looks like. This is the audience. This is what you get as part of this. Most of them are like, oh yeah, cool, great. Just go for it. You know, yeah. like here's the paperwork and writing, but you know, I'm really just kind of just more excited that you're supporting this than any sort of like, I'm waiting for you to use this wrong so I can spring a trap on you or I feel, <laughs> you know, kind of like misused here. I think it's just really important for all people involved in the music industry that we can just talk to artists and be like, hey, like we just want to support you people to people and not have to worry about lawyers or businesses or I don't know. Yeah, that stuff can be kind of a bummer. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, what you're saying dovetails completely with my feeling that, you know, all of us in the industry who are working for artists to have careers and be career artists, what we really want is for artists to be informed. And so it's absolutely worth it to sit down with someone and explain it and say, this is what we're trying to do. And this is, you know, how your music will be used and all this stuff. Because informed artists are like, they're so much better to deal with than uninformed artists for that exact reason, because somebody who doesn't understand what's going on might actually misconstrue and just be like, oh, you did something wrong. And you're like, wait, wait, you just don't understand. <laughs> it's not actually, totally. I didn't actually do something wrong. And I mean, we can think of how many bands who have signed like a bad contract that was given to them and they just didn't understand it. And that can have long running repercussions. Totally. You know, and that's not cool. And, and thinking about podcasts, you know, as a medium, it's growing so fast and we're learning more and more about it and more and more about advertising especially. So like there's more analytics than ever on audiences and there's going to be more advertising sold on podcasts than ever year after year going forward. And it doesn't seem to stop anytime soon. And, you know, we're probably not that far off from a place where podcast placement is in the same bracket as maybe like a small commercial or like a TV placement. Maybe even one day it could be like car commercial money, who knows? And, you know, if people are signing away the rights to their music now, when the podcast is like, you know, we listened to by like 20 people. That's one thing, but it's just another medium where music is going to continue to be a key part of the programming, whether it's just like a theme jingle or a music podcast where they talk about the music itself. And, you know, I can understand why artists would want to be aware of trying to get ahead of the curve of the law. Like you said earlier, like the law catches up to technology mm -hmm. and they want to make sure that they don't end up walking backwards into something that ends up being huge and they missed out on, you know, a real paycheck. Wow. Jacob, I love what you just have to say. That's so exciting. <laughs> I hope that that is the future. <laughs> that would be amazing if podcasting became like licensing, you know, like to car commercials and, and movies and stuff. That'd be amazing. Totally. And, and it's, I think it's there. I see more music podcasts than ever. 
and they're being more creative and in different formats than what we're doing at KXP right now. And that excites me and it gives me ideas for what we want to do and in and, and the future. And I don't know, it's just a medium that's so young that we kind of need to be thoughtful and also cautious a little bit on how we use the art and how we compensate the use of that art. It's kind of just like the internet, you know, like at first it seemed like, oh, cool, all this music's out here for free. And then record sales bottomed out and it had a huge lasting impact on so many people's and artists' lives. And then I don't want a smaller version of that phenomenon to happen again. Good point. Well, on that note, I think we'll leave it there. That's great. Jacob Webb, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thanks so much. I'm so stoked to be here. was Without Applause by Horse Feathers. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Support for The Future of What comes from Marmoset. Marmoset is an independent, full-service music agency that specializes in meticulously curating rare, vintage, and emerging independent artists, bands, and record labels, and representing them for music licensing. 
Marmoset also boasts an accomplished original music production team that works directly with independent artists, bands, and record labels to craft original music, soundtracks, and scores for any creative medium imaginable. Learn more at marmosetmusic.com. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Jonathan Menhivar. Jonathan, welcome to The Future of What. Thanks for having me. So we are having you today because we are sort of trying to delve into the depths of the mystery of licensing music for podcasts. Right. And you have been a producer on many shows that have used music, used sound beds, not necessarily just songs, but all sorts of music in all sorts of ways. And now that you've moved over to like the podcasting sphere 100%, I thought you might have some good insights on this. Yeah, I hope so. It's it's a thing that that like I've had to figure out along the way too because yeah. I come from public radio before podcast even existed and it was not a thing that we worried about much on the radio end of things. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a whole different world on the radio. So It's a whole different world on the radio. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know if this is worth going into it or I should just briefly mention that like I don't totally understand how it all works, but there is some agreement that public radio stations have that allows them to generally use music freely. And then that stuff gets reported, and then I think eventually that trickles down to musicians in some kind of payment, but it's all a little bit of a mystery to me. But things are totally different on the podcast end. Yeah, I think blanket licenses are involved, and and we definitely don't have to go there at this point. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, because podcasting is one of those sort of things that just popped up in the world based on technology, you know, laws always catch up with technology, not the other way around. So yeah. we're not super regulated in terms of podcasting, but that's been kind of scary too, because you don't want to leave yourself open for litigation or having people get really mad at you if you use their songs without permission. So how have you guys been handling music use in podcasts? And I'm and when, by music use, I'm going to just say, like, let's just talk about like, if you wanted to use a song, somebody's you know, released song that was out there in the world. So if there is a particular released song, then we go through like a regular licensing process the same way that a TV show would. So chasing down who owns the master, who owns the publishing, getting both of their permission, paying them, and and then using it. That's all like, (laughs) those are a lot of steps and, and they can take a long time sometimes and a lot of work, but that's generally the process. And that's interesting to me because, you know, in general, most podcasts, I mean, your Pineapple Street Media podcasts are a little different because you have some bigger partners and I assume that there's revenues coming in for those podcasts. Yeah. But most people's podcasts are small and they do them in their bedroom or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they don't really have a budget to license music. So what do people do in that case? You know what? I'm not going to speak for other people. I think some people just use music and hope they don't get caught and hope their podcasts are small enough. But, you know, for the shows I've worked for, I mean, even before Pineapple Street, it's been too much of a risk to just assume we could do that and also didn't feel so good. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I want recognition for musicians and, and what we can pay them. Right. You know, that, that we could pay them something. And, and, you know, generally, like, 
it's still like I, I come from public radio we, and even at Pineapple Street, I think like budgets for licensing music aren't huge. Mm-hmm. And so part of that conversation often is a kind of like teeter totter of we have a limited budget for licensing music, but here are the other things we can offer. And generally that is, I think, like association with the show, which I think think and hope can can go a long way and then publicizing the musician and the other like broad thing that I've tried to offer a lot is just you give us the rights to use the music we're not going to own it at all and we'll publicize the fact that your music is on our show or in you know a specific podcast and then if you want to set up a page like we'll link to that page a page where people can download and buy your tracks totally feel free to do that. You keep all the money. All I want is the ability to use your music in my show. Hmm. So, And then, of course, there's the other type of music, which would be, you know, sort of more like sound beds and like instrumental music. Yeah. Do you guys commission that stuff and pay the artist directly to make it? There's three different ways that I would do that. One is that we do use some sound libraries, but I generally have not had a lot of success with those. You know, I think like in those, there's maybe like 10% of music that I feel like I can use in a show. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably worth saying that like in the stuff that I've made that like we made at This American Life that that I'm going to be making at Pineapple Street Media, like I've worked really hard to get people to talk a certain way. We've written and like done all the editing so that people sound very human. And, you know, hopefully there's a lot of heart and emotion and like a broad range of human in the thing and I want that same thing for my music Mm -hmm. and I have found like that the only way to do that is is to to like go to musicians who have also hopefully gone through the same process and write in their music and so two ways that I have found that have been really successful are also licensing music so like you know licensing instrumental music or sometimes, like, I've had the experience of hearing a record and thinking, like, oh, this would be great scoring music if the vocals weren't there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and going to the label and saying, like, hey, is, is there any way that we can get this record without the, the vocals on it? And some artists are going to be okay with that, some aren't. But there's music being used on This American Life now that has gone through that process. And then, yeah, the other way is commissioning music. So... You know, there's kind of like a a commissioning process of commissioning for general use. Like at This American Life, there's a bunch of music that I commissioned and work with musicians on that is used every new show that is in the music library for producers there to choose from. Or there can be like a very more specific, you know, like we need specific music for serial or for S Town, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. I wasn't involved in those productions, but those shows had music specifically composed for those shows. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about stock music? That's not something that I know much about at all, but I do know it exists. So, you know, there are libraries that you pay a fee to be able to use anything that is in that library, and you can do search terms for stuff, you know, if I need like action music or video game music or I need classical music with oboes like some of the services can be really good in terms of of searches and I don't really know the intricacies of how all of that works on the inside you know I think some houses 
have musicians working within a place, making everything there. And some places are kind of handling a lot of the licensing of outside sources themselves. So, you know, they've kind of taken care of, of everything. And so once you pay the fee to the library, then you know you can use whatever is, is in there. So that exists. But like I said, I think like for, for me, whenever I have sat down and, and listened to that music, a lot of it feels like, like somebody sat down at a computer mm. and pushed something out kind of quickly without a lot of heart. Right, right. Yeah. Definitely. But, you know, I there there are also, I don't want to talk down those those services too much because they're certainly useful for a producer, I think. One, because they're like, they're varied, you know, they're, they're vast. And a lot of times in radio production and podcast production, you're working very quickly. Like everything at This American Life, for the most part, is scored the day before it goes on the air. Wow. Sometimes like hours before it goes on the air Yikes. you know like it, 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 <laughs> if we're lucky it, like when i worked there and this is still true like if the the production schedule is working perfectly you don't start scoring an episode until thursday morning and that has to be on the air by the end of the day friday wow so. that's that's <laughs> impressive <laughs> that's a crazy turnaround yeah wow yeah well talk to me a little bit just because you're really uniquely positioned in the world of of sort of the same, you know, you one could say that people who loved This American Life have probably become podcast listeners, uh-huh. largely as well, either as well or as instead of instead of depending on you know people's lifestyles and whether they're in the car or you know listening with a headset. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of ways that people consume stuff, but I do feel like those are kind of the same audience. Yes. What do you think? I mean, do you feel like the, like podcasting is is truly the wave of the future and it's just going to grow and grow? Or do you feel like we've already peaked with podcasting and now it's a downward slope? Where do you think we're at? I'm not going to give you an answer that I'm going to be 100% confident in because this is not my area of expertise other than knowing that I can tell you, like I've worked in radio for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And when I started, the only place I wanted to be was This American Life it felt like the only place that was making the kind of thing that made me excited about radio. And now, you know, three or five other big shops exist making that kind of stuff, you know, and that's not to be said for like all the other shows that are out there. I mean, just look at the iTunes charts and, and I work at one of those companies, you know? So I think it is certainly growing. I think there are people, you know, who talk about like, it's still hard right now to listen to a podcast in your car a little bit, you know, like you have to take whatever you have downloaded onto your phone if you don't want to pay for, for streaming stuff. And so like there's a, a future probably not too far off where you can turn on your car radio and listen to anything the same way that you can listen to whatever is on the radio in the car. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think there's a, a lot of room for growth. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. Well, Jonathan Menhivar, thank you so much for being with us on The Future of What today. Sure.
That was Glass of Water by Lithics. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Wimps, Horse Feathers, Lithics, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killerockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week. <laughs>